What's up, guys? Welcome back. I'm Colton McCormack, and this is Certified Wrench Podcast. Today I'm joined by, I guess, a, a newish friend. We've been in communication since the beginning of the year, right? Something like that. Uh, this is uh, somebody that kind of got in touch with me pretty early in the podcast season here. And uh, his name is Joe. Is it Joe or Joseph? What do you want to go by? Either one. Joe Cashin, or we call him Cash Money. <laughs> anyway, what's up, man? Not much. Glad to be here. So we're doing this kind of a last-minute thing, uh, scheduling issue, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so podcast coming out a little later than usual. That's okay. I, I think care. the people will enjoy it anyways. Mm-hmm. You better be entertaining, motherfucker. I'm going to try. <laughs> <laughs> oh, real nice. Now I got to edit over that. over already. Anyway, Joe, uh, you uh, just went out on your own shit a month ago? Uh, almost three. Is uh, it really? July, August, September will be my third month. Jesus. It's Time flying flies. by, dude. Wow. So... Let's uh let's talk about what you do. Actually, how you got into it. You, everybody knows the lines. <laughs> what are you doing? How'd you get into it? All right, so I've been a mechanic almost ten years now. I started. Oh well, I guess we'll go back to the beginning. But my dad owned a tow truck company in Fort Worth. Here, I don't know if you're allowed to say cities. You can say cities, just right. no names, okay. except for you if you yeah. want to say your name. All right. Well, he uh, he ran a tow truck. He was a one-man show for a little while, and he had some owner-operators that worked with him. And, uh, oh, he had been doing that just about my entire life. And I got to the point where I needed to find something to do. Uh, he was kind of an old-school guy. He told me pretty early, hey, you need to find a way to uh, you know pay your bills, take care of a family, find something you like to do. He said... I'm not going to tell you what you got to do, but you got to find something. And uh, so that's when I started looking for something that interested me. Um, you know, I thought I was going to be a, a hot rod diesel performance guy. That was kind of the era that I was coming up. Everybody, you know, doing all the dirty D words, the deletes, <laughs> the uh, all that kind of stuff. And I saw where it was headed and I just, you know, all the there's money in it, but it's kind of one of those things driving a pickup truck is kind of just for fun. And sometimes when people need to find a place to cut money, they won't spend money on that. So I started looking a little more in depth on what could be a more kind of sustainable and, and long-term uh, thing. And that's when I found the heavy trucks and started pursuing that. But out of high school, it took me a whole month. And then I went to, I signed up and went to a tech school, uh, Lincoln Tech over there in Grand Prairie. So oh. uh, that was one of those experiences where you get you get out what you put in. And, uh, you know, a lot of people would tell you you're not going to learn anything. It's, you know, it's going to be a, it's going to not be a, well, it's going to be kind of hard to still get into the industry after that, but. It's uh, it's all about what you want to do, and if you put your mind to it, you know. What uh, I never even heard of Lincoln Tech. What kind of shit do they teach over there? So Lincoln Tech is uh, they're kind of like a Y O Tech or oh, okay. anything else. Um, they're 
I want to say they have multiple locations. I'm not really sure, but they had welding, automotive, diesel. You could do a combo class or just about anything over there, any combination of them. I think they added a machinist CNC class course. But, uh, yeah, I did diesel. It was 13 months. I got a job when I was still going to school, and uh, that was just a automotive lube shop. And uh, I learned real quick I didn't want to do a – I didn't want to be a lube guy the rest of my life. So I did – unfortunately, I probably did a little more automotive work than I wanted to, and I stayed in it for about eight months or ten months. And I found a Chevrolet dealership that was hiring. They had a medium-duty truck shop. And they promised me to put me in there and, you know, kind of bring me up. And uh, the day I got hired on, they said, well, we're going to start you off in the lube shop until we uh, until we find a place for you in the truck shop. So <laughs> I got to doing, you know, the PMs the or oil changes, the discount oil changes, you know, nothing but my oil change. Don't upsell me on anything. I just want my tires rotated. Six quarts yeah. and a filter. Yep. So I did that for about three months, and I was about to the point where I was ready to go tell them I'm, I'm out of here. I'm looking for something else. But I've, uh, <laughs> I've never quit a job if I didn't have a job lined up. So I stuck with it. And um, the guy who was kind of the, uh, the lead lube shop guy was telling everybody, you know, there's no way out of here. You're never going to move. They're never going to move you to the main shop. They're never going to move anybody anywhere. And he told me that. And I'm like, look, man, that may be what like you're capable of. Cause you've been here for like three years and you're still the, uh, oil change guy. But I, uh, I just, I went and talked to the service manager one day and I said, Hey man, like, I don't want to be a lube guy. That's not why I'm here. And he moved me to the truck shop and that was great for all of about a week. <laughs> and, uh, I got to learn that it was two old grumpy guys who uh, knew everything and, uh, you know, just being the, uh, the new mechanic on the, on the block, it was here, you're doing the, uh, the stuff that I don't want to do. And, uh, you know, I don't care what they taught you in school. This is how we do it over here and X, Y, Z. And it's like, all right. So it was, uh, it was a dealership, but the truck shop was kind of a Chevrolet. I think they stopped, they discontinued their medium duty line a few years before I got in there. And uh, so it was kind of just the older model stuff that was still coming through there. The stuff that people, the the people that knew the mechanics there, he had been there for like 30 years. So he had a pretty good name and, and everybody brought their stuff to him. But it was, uh, it was one of those things I didn't really see a lot of upward mobility at that place. So I, uh, I put in at a Freightliner dealership. I got in over there and got a nice raise and got to working on heavy trucks for a couple of years and, um, I'm still not in the field at this point, but after three years there, my third anniversary, they handed me this little, uh, uh, silver coin, or I think it was a silver coin. It was like, congratulations, you made it three years. And I said, well, here's my two weeks notice. <laughs> and so I, uh, I got a job at Kenworth and I was there for about a year. And, uh, I had got recommended from a guy who was my previous service manager to work at Kenworth. He's like, come over here. You're going to love it a lot more. And I, first time I worked on a Kenworth, I, uh, I questioned why I'd ever worked on Freightliners for that long. Is that the Kenworth that's like right here? You know, if you guys, um, if you guys look at your speakers, you can see where I'm pointing. Yeah, right over here. No, um, this was a new branch that had opened up. It was kind of a satellite store of that one. Oh, okay. It was, uh, it was, they were doing construction over there at the time, and they were just uh, needing a little bit more 
I guess, a little more capability. So they opened a satellite store, and this kind of plays into the story. It was just a uh, the shop they were working out of was like five bays, a uh, and a couple of awnings, and so I'm like, I'm at a dealership, but I'm still not having that dealership experience there. So <laughs> it was, uh, I was kind of getting frustrated. The that was like the winter time, and winter in Texas. I mean, it's not winter like everybody else, you know. But yeah, it's uh, cold. I'm born and raised Texas, so 40 degrees and below. I don't don't want to be outside, and I know all no. the Canadians are going to get offended by that. But <laughs> um, so I had worked in. It was a split. It was a half wash bay and half a uh, service bay. And I went in every day and I had my door closed and it had terrible lighting in there. And I was like, man, I feel like I'm showing up to a prison cell every day. I'm just showing up and, you know, I was doing overhauls and in frames and I mean, all kinds of stuff in that back kind of split bay. And um, I was like, I need a change of pace. And at the time um, they had a open field service truck. And uh, field service truck, I say that generously. It was a uh, F-250 with essentially a plumber's bed on it. So I could uh, put my knock sensor socket in there and my <laughs> laptop and basically drove around and, you know, I could carry my multimeter and all my diagnostic tools. And I got thrown into the uh, the storm of, hey, we threw parts at it. We can't fix it. So uh, we need somebody to come diagnose it. And uh, so that's where a lot of my... Uh, diagnostic capabilities started just kind of having to figure it out after typically a lot of parts had been put on a truck but let's see I got moved around a few times we had a guy who quit and I got moved into a more realistic service truck that had a little crane on it and that was good and all but at the same time it was uh I was always trying to improve and make progress and I liked the dealership life I you know got sent to all the training all the classes i mean if you're willing dealerships will pay money to send you to classes and i'm like uh-huh. hey send me to everything you can because i'm trying to get learned <laughs> and uh so <clears throat> all right so took a little pause there but um so i was still working at the dealership you know going to all the classes all that um i certified and everything I've ever worked on I got sent to the school for it and got certified in it which you know how much that means sometimes but it was uh, another thing to add to my resume there so I was down for it and um oh I think Scruff said the spicy cough hit that's the <laughs> term he used and yep that one threw a wrench in the dealership life for sure they were uh you know everybody was precarious precautious doing all those uh weird and interesting measures to keep you safe and whatnot but i uh they told me zero overtime and i wasn't a overtime addict or anything but it was always one of those things when i have work i'm going to do it and my customers have work for me to do so i want to do it and uh i got to the point where i was you know turning down work and telling customers i couldn't make it and i uh i had an opportunity to go work for an independent shop and so I took that mid 2020 and, uh, I was over there for almost two years and, uh, I got to the point where I had a lot of people that were coming to me directly, you know, asking for all that, uh, they wanted to do the side work or the, this or that. And I didn't want to do side work. So 
I built it up enough to where I uh, decided to buy a truck and go solo and see where we go. So, as you can see, my wife just pulled in. and She's going to interrupt us with her car door. You just, just wait. Go ahead and interrupt us. Go ahead. Sorry. Yep, see, there's the car door. <sighs> sorry. Distractions, man. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry. No worries. This is where I met you working at this place. Yeah, so I uh, I found your podcast on one of the uh, Facebook service truck pages. I think you posted about it. And uh, I will tell you this. You probably hear me say this a few times, but I listen to podcasts all the time. Like, I'm in a service truck. 8 to 10 to 12 hours a day. <laughs> a lot of that's drive time. A lot of it's I'm not really doing anything uh, that would take my attention away from listening to a podcast. So I'll put it in the headphones or on my speakers, and uh, I'll just be listening to, I mean, I think my Spotify last year said I had something like 100,000 minutes of oh, of, uh, of listening time. And I do l enjoy listening to music or having some tunes on, but I'd rather be listening to a podcast and learning something or or listening to something interesting i've got a i mean just i've got more podcasts than i could ever listen to and so i'll usually just pop one on but that tangent i just left out on and it was uh <laughs> i don't even remember where i was going with it so but that's yeah so podcast i found your podcast that's right and uh turned it on is pretty interesting you know uh there's always a sense of like community or you know you feel like you know somebody because you listen to a podcast with them on there, and it's like, well, that's cool. So I uh, I knew you said you were in North Texas somewhere, but I had no idea. You were pretty sneaky with it. You didn't post uh, who you worked for or anything. Yep. So I was like, I don't, you know, I don't know how I ended up finding out that you were working for that company, but one of your podcasts, you were saying, yeah, somebody has our, our lube truck for like a month and a half, and <laughs> they're telling us it needs a new motor. And I'm like, man, that's the guys in the shop. I've seen that truck in there. <laughs> and so I uh, I gave the guys in the shop a hard time and told them to hurry up. But, that's I, awesome. uh, yeah, I ended up having to come out there to work on that thing like a week after it left the shop. Yeah. And that's, I guess, when the first time I met you up there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then it was, next thing I know, you're buying your own truck and gone. Yeah, it came together pretty quick, and uh, I will say I'm really fortunate that, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I did it the traditional way. I mean, if you go on a service truck page, which there's a thousand posts every year, somebody saying, how do I break out on my own? How do I do this? And everybody's got an answer on how to do it, and I don't think I followed any one of their directions. Or, uh, But that's one of those things we were talking about before the podcast started, you can, uh, if you don't know who you're talking to, you might assume that they know what they're talking about. And, uh, boy, the biggest thing, I mean, you just got to get the ball rolling and you're going to learn from there. Yeah. I, I see that a lot, you know, people wanting to go out on their own and they just want people that basically tell them how to do it. Yeah. So it's like, what, what it does everything, every little detail. And I've asked questions, you know. I uh, I thought I would ask a question of, like, what's something that you thought you might have forgot, but you realized a month or two or three months into it, mm -hmm. and it's like you didn't have. And I got all these, frankly, stupid answers, and I'm like, <laughs> I've already thought about that. Like, I was looking for something insightful here, and I just got a bunch of, uh, you know, the things that – I'm not saying I know everything. I'm not saying that I'm, uh, you know, uh, the greatest to ever do it or anything, but I – I didn't jump into it lightly, but at the same time, I wasn't going to sit around and, uh, you know, have to take everyone's advice and, well, I need six months. Like someone said, you need six months of income to, uh, 
to pad yourself in case anything goes wrong. I'm like, I don't know about you, but I don't have six months of income to set aside. Yeah, no shit. And, uh, and just, you know, well, I'm going to work for myself, and I'm also, you know, I've got $40,000 in the bank that's going to pad me if anything goes wrong. Mm-hmm. But it does take money. It does take effort. But I, I was uh, really fortunate, like I said. My family, uh, they've got a, a pretty established company. They run tow trucks now. They, they're all, uh, they have employees. So that was part of the story. My sister kind of took over. My sister and brother-in-law have really helped with my dad. And uh, they've got them employees. They've got a bunch of trucks now. And so that thing's really booming. And uh, they were able to help me get financing on this truck. So yeah. it was like, that was the uh, one of the parts that I was really scared about or kind of hesitant about going out on my own. I'm like, do I buy a truck I can go pay cash for? And then I'm having to do brakes. I'm having to do, you know, little things. If I buy it and the crane, you know, sticks on me up in the air and I have to go buy some controller. It's like yep. I wanted a lot of the variables taken out of it. So I did go, uh, you know, finance a truck. And I look at it this way. I'm paying a bigger monthly payment. But at the same time, it's I feel like comparatively I'm spending less money than if I were, you know, having to put a transmission in or having to do all these little things that I bought a used truck because I know anybody who's been in the service truck life for a little while, a lot of the trucks that are out there, they don't sell them because they're a great truck. They sell the trucks when they have their life taken out of them. And it's like, we're going to send it to the auction and, (laughs) and we're done with it. We got every, you know, every inch of life out of this thing. So we're going to send it away. So and also, being it was uh, it was earlier this year, 2022, the inventory on new trucks was terrible. Mm-hmm. The inventory on used trucks got ate into. So there was, like, I'd see a nice used truck that I'd want to go pursue. And before I even messaged a person, it would be listed as sold. Yeah. And so that was, uh, that was one of those things that also I uh, strayed away from looking for a used truck and just went ahead and financed a new one. Props. Props, man, because uh, I'm too scared to do that. <laughs> I even bought a used motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will say this. Uh, the chassis is new. The, my service body's uh, remanufactured. They painted it, made it look all nice and pretty. It's, um, I've had no issues out of it yet. I've got a couple of seals on the doors that I could probably make a little better. But, I mean, it's it's one of those things. I I. I like the tall bedsides on mine. I know everybody who's listening can't see it, but you can go it's follow right me over on there. Instagram. If, if you guys go look at where I'm pointing in the speakers, you can see it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I love high bedsides too. I will never go with like one of those IMTs. Yeah. Well, I got a quote on a brand new service truck. It was a Palfinger bed, and it had the low bedsides except for the raised cabinet under the crane, mm-hmm. and it was the same price as this one with the reman bed. And I'm like, I would that truck would be packed out before I even like, <laughs> like loaded half of my tools on there. And, uh, you know, this one's still a, it's a 5,500 and, um, I've got a good amount of space in there, but I'm already looking at another one. So we'll see. So when I was planning on going out on my own back in 2020, <clears throat> I was just going to get an enclosed trailer and tow it behind my F three fifty and put a workbench in there, my generator and compressor and just do my thing out of that. I, customers are like fuck yeah you, if you need to lift something just fucking use one of our excavators or yeah. something you know so it's like cool i'm ready to go but well i've seen plenty of people do it um there's a guy around here i've seen that has a, more than one i've seen they've got the whole setup like that 
And uh, that's one of those things. It's, it was just the question of whether I wanted to do that. And you fall a little bit behind on your efficiency. You yeah. can't take that trailer everywhere. Yep. I mean, if you're going off-road in some of these job sites, it's like you don't want to have to hope that you have clearance to get in and out of there. Or like It, it just adds another layer of complexity to it. So I kind of I wanted to take a lot of the variables out and just kind of minimize that. But, I mean, to the guys that do that, I have no, you know, I, I think – those guys are awesome. It's like if you go out on your own or if you go do side work and you're hustling and you're making money, then good on you. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit here and talk trash about you. Everybody's got to do what they got to do. But like I said, I, I got real fortunate on being able to uh, get a new truck relatively easily. Sweet, man. So I know oh, I almost said the company name. Yeah. Your last place of employment. You worked on trucks mainly, you're correct, but you were also doing heavy equipment on Yeah, so it, I'd say it this way, I'll work on anything, but I don't work on everything. <laughs> um, okay. I, I know what I'm good at, and I know what I'm not good at. And if it's something I can help you with, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get it done. But if it's out of my, my league, out of my ballpark, I'm not going to sit there and pretend I know what I'm doing. You know, I'm not going to go say, uh, you know... I. I'll be honest, I don't do a ton of undercarriage work or anything like that. Fuck that. And uh, there's kind of those guys who are, you know, I'm 85 bucks an hour and I'll do your whole undercarriage. I'm like, you can have it. I don't want it. I'm not going to sit here and buy all these tools and buy all the, you know, have all the uh, knowledge and everything to do that when there's somebody else who's willing to do it for a lot cheaper and probably, be- frankly, better than I can. Yeah, and so. you don't want to buy that. That shit's expensive and, you know, track work's not an everyday thing. Nope. So. But. There's there's specialty guys that do those kind of things, and so I I like I said I stay in what I'm good at. Uh, I do a lot of electrical diagnostics. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of after treatment diagnostics. I do a lot of uh, the stuff that, like I said, people already threw parts at it and it didn't fix it. So hey, we put this ECM on and it still doesn't work. Come fix it. And I'm like, <laughs> you could have called me before, but you decided to uh, y- you could do it yourself. So I try not to uh, take it out on them too bad, but I'll. Uh, I pride myself in being able to fix a lot of things that other people haven't been able to. So, but I say that, and then I'll every once in a while, you know, have that one that just absolutely wrecks you, and you have no idea what you're doing. You're like, yes. I feel like I'm a rookie over here, and I just, you know, wasted all this time. And then it was something real simple. But yeah, so I worked on most. I'd say probably like 85% is trucks, but I mean, I work on cranes, I work on uh, generators, I work on equipment here and there but uh, i mean you're a construction uh company mechanic so you understand that you're not trying to call anybody unless you absolutely have to so yes and fortunately we don't have to yeah so you've got that kind of covered yeah and i've got i've got companies that have their own mechanics and they take care of 99 percent of things mm-hmm. and it's like i get that one percent that i just you know i end up cleaning up and uh you know i uh I have a lot of good customers, but like I said, I have a lot of customers that I may not see for three months, but when they call yep. me, they need me. Yep. And it's like, I'll be there, I'll take care of them. And that's, um, that's one thing that really, it made it easy for me to jump ship and, and go solo is having a good customer base because Hell I yeah. can't imagine, I see guys who are working in a shop at a dealership or in a shop independent whatever and then they decide to go mobile and they don't have that connection that a field guy would have with the customers and 
that was one thing I felt, a, you know, kind of halfway bad about leaving my last place is I made a lot of connections with people. But um, so it, it was one of those. It's like, I'm not trying to steal your customers, but like I was the one who made the connections. So. Yep. They're kind of yours yeah. anyway. Yeah. So I, um, you know, that's one thing I've always loved about the field is you get to meet your customers. Most of the time you get to talk to the person making the decisions um, or, or a good handful of times you do. And, uh, you know, you build that relationship with them and then you can, when they need somebody, who's the person that you're going to call the person they like to see, or, yep. you know, if you knows they're going to fucking show up. Yeah. Well, half the time when you call a dealer, they're just going to send whoever's a- available. Yep. And it's like, you don't know if that's going to be the, the guy who knows everything and who can handle whatever is thrown his way or the guy who just got put in a service truck, you know, no offense to him. He's learning, he's taking care of business. But sometimes when you're that guy and you get thrown into it, it's like, I wouldn't, you want to blame the dealer sometimes, but at the same time, it's like, well, you're going to have to learn at some point, but then the customer gets frustrated because, Hey, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's just changing parts. Yep. So Mm. that's one thing when you build those relationships with the customers, it's like it, it made it real easy for me to, because uh, when I left the dealer to go independent, I had a, a lot of people who still called me anyways. And uh, so they followed me all over there. And then whenever I left to go solo, they followed me all to go with solo with me. So, Man, you're really good at this podcast thing. Well, I, I said I've listened to a ton of podcasts, <laughs> and I've never done a podcast before. And you, you asked me, you're like, hey, are you nervous before we got started? And frankly, I was, but... <clears throat> I um I'm just I'm just going with it. You said wing it, so that's yeah, what we're doing. That's what we're doing, but god damn it. I uh I think I might have found my new co host. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we probably both both don't have time for that. Um damn, that's pretty legit intro, man. Uh I don't know if you wanna get into it how you wanna get into it, but I kind of just want to get this out of the fucking way now because you want to talk tools. <laughs> I said that more as a joke. I know, but yeah. actually I do want to talk about it because you obviously know the video. We've talked about it. Uh, two weeks ago, I posted a video on TikTok and Instagram, and it just blew up on both and ended up having to turn off my notifications because... Going viral over there. Uh, people. And so, you know, we talk about talk about trades and college and you know we don't recommend college you know if we if you don't have to go type thing uh but in this video this guy fucking tells kids to fuck off and stay in school because being a mechanic sucks right or is stupid or i can't even remember what he fucking said now. i saw that video the the original video i saw it like yeah. three days before you posted that one mm-hmm. and uh it was one of those things it's like man come on like you're probably the first guy to go and complain about hey, we don't have any mechanics coming into the trade, and hey, you know, my hours are long, or I'm, I'm not making any money, and it's like, but you're the first one to go tell people not to do it, and it's like, one reason I, I really hooked onto your podcast from the beginning is because it's like, there's a, uh, you've talked about it before, but there's a, a almost a lack of knowledge to certain individuals that there's even an opportunity to do the things that mechanics in general do, but then even field mechanics do. And uh, getting that, just kind of spreading that information around to uh, to let people in, kind of on the uh, on the inside, behind the scenes a little bit. I think that's valuable and pretty important. I it just, you know, I said I made fun of the guy because he had a snap on box and full right. of snap on tools as a joke. 
nothing against Snap-on. I own a ton of Snap-on yeah, tools. I've got a lot. And, you know, I just made a quick little joke, but the, the video was mainly focused around stop being a dick. And if kids are coming out of high school and they want to get into a trade or go to college, don't discourage it because it could be a good thing. And people fixate on the stupidest shit on videos like that. Like, let's talk about the tools. Well, you probably can't afford Snap-on tools. Shit like that. And I've got the dumbest comments. And <laughs> just That goes back to people on the internet don't always know what they're talking about. Yes. But, uh, yeah, you want... Boy, it's, it's, there's a lot to break down on the people that were commenting on it. But, like, the biggest thing is... You want to encourage people and uh, and not just be a complete, you know, just a tool bag. Somebody who's uh, he made. I'm sure he made it as a joke. He That's did. all good and fun and everything. But at the same time, somebody who sees that and was maybe thinking about turning wrenches or or maybe somebody who's already turning wrenches. And then it's like, oh, you know, if you're two years in, you may think, well, I'm not going to do it 30 years because and frankly, I don't want to do it 30 years either. But there's a, there's one of those, it's like, there's a lot to break into it, break down into There's it, a but. lot of, of points to this. Like, how about the first thing? If you were a young kid coming into it, would you want to work with that guy? Absolutely not. And like I said, at the Chevrolet dealership, the medium duty guys that I worked with, one of them, um, he would say stuff like that pretty regularly. And uh, at the time, I was about probably, I think, less than two years of turning wrenches. And it was those questions is playing my head while he's saying stuff like that. It's like, did I make the wrong decision? I went to a trade school. You know, I spent money to go here. Um, all these different questions. And you're like, am I doing the wrong thing? Should I just get out now? Should I stop? Is there, in, like, no future in it? But a lot of times I look at people and uh, I look at where they're at. And then I take their advice accordingly. Uh -huh. So it's like if you're a guy who's been there 30 years and you're unhappy, I'm going to take your advice with a grain of salt because it's like I – let's say this. A wise man learns from his mistakes. A wiser man learns from other people's mistakes. And so if you're sitting there grumpy and grouchy and you've been there 30 years and there's no money to be made and there's this and that – it's like you might start asking, what did you do to get to that point? Yeah. Instead of like telling everybody else you can't do it, it's like because you and I both know there's money to be made out here. You just have to know what to know what you're doing. You gotta you know make the right decisions in your career, and uh, you'll find it eventually or you won't. And it's so, uh, it just telling people you won't point blank is kind of a that's a. Uh, just kind of ridiculous <laughs> yeah there's a guy that literally commented on like on tiktok like two hours ago i'm an audi technician i made six figures this year and i have twenty five thousand dollars worth of snap-on paid off and i'm like twenty five thousand dollars that's cute you know well going solo you realize how much you spend on tools that isn't just what's in your toolbox and twenty five thousand dollars is a lot of hand tools or mm -hmm. Maybe not after inflation, but uh, <laughs> $25,000 would get you a pretty good setup, I would say. And it doesn't have to be Snap-on or Mac or Matco or whatever. But, um, yeah, $25,000 can go to, like, a couple of jacks. Yeah, but and it's like you're realizing when you're buying shop equipment and everything else, 
it's like $25,000 is pretty, it'll go pretty quick. But at the same time, it's like what you're saying about the Audi tech. It's like, well, good for you. You made it. That's not to say that everybody won't, but like you should be the one encouraging, making videos, telling people why you can do it. Yeah. But that goes back to the point wasn't even about whether you own snap on tools or not. (laughs) It's like, that's great and all, but um, I guess that's why you don't talk tools is because you don't want to sit there and, and rehash the same argument that's ever been said. What the fuck was that? Did you hear that? It sounded like a trailer or something. I thought somebody came by and revved up their motor. Um, uh, whatever. Uh, I'd lost my train of thought now on that. But uh, I, First of all, nothing against Snap-on. I love Snap-on products. But am I going to go buy the $300 set of chrome sockets? Or am I going to go buy the gear wrench set for 150 right well here's a little tool hack i'll let you in on i, I didn't know if we we're going to talk tools or not oh fuck it let's yeah, do it we're talking tools but um you're talking about going and buying one thing a snap-on versus something else uh i found out and i'm sure a lot of people out there already know this but you can pretty much buy any hand tool you want that's branded cat with the caterpillar part number yeah and it's made by snap-on yeah same I bought with a set of angling uh, angled wrenches the other day and I looked them up on the Snap-on, and they were like nine something. And I went on Cat and bought it through my local dealer, and it was like three hundred and something. Yeah. And I'm like, it just says Cat versus saying Snap-on, but I don't know. There's that that goes back to, I could have gone and bought Harbor Freight wrenches for probably seventy five bucks and had the same set of wrenches, and they'd do the same thing. And angled wrenches, you're probably gonna beat up anyways taking yep. hydraulic lines off and this and that but yeah it's like you want what's going to get the job done at the end of the day and if you're fixated on having the shiniest the uh you know the most expensive then that's where somebody because if there's no money to be made in it but you bought all that snap-on stuff or you finance it and paid 50 bucks a week it's like why aren't you making money because you spent <laughs> it all on all this stuff but i don't know you could sit there and reanalyze this dude forever almost and uh maybe not come up with a solid explanation for his reasoning yeah i i just bought shit off snap on truck on thursday i uh, being whatever. so low i don't have a, a current location so i haven't seen a tool truck in about three months now <laughs> and even before that being field i'd see a tool truck maybe like once a month so i have got out of the uh i don't know if it's brainwashing but the uh the uh, the allure of having a tool truck pull up and buying new tools every week or looking at new tools every week. So I did go into Northern Tool the other day, and I bought me some Knipics. Knipics. Yeah. And if nobody knows what Northern Tool is, it's a a fancy Harbor Freight. Yeah, it's I'd, like, a, I'd say it's a step above. They have name brand stuff. Yeah. It's not all, uh, you know, in-house brands. But uh, I like the Nipix pliers, and I bought a couple of pairs that I didn't have. I like their... Uh, die grinder stuff that they have like Ma- mountain no oh like, like their house brand yeah and i've, I've, I've used uh i've got a a needle scaler yeah from there and it's lasted me pretty good yeah i mean i've had a a 90 drill yeah air drill and i've put that thing through hell and it's i bought one of those good. air drills uh from hobo freight and it lasted me about two broken bolts <laughs> and uh the gears on the 90 came apart I went and turned it in and got a new one, and that one lasted about a week, and I just never went to get another one. But yeah. 
Some some stuff you actually. That's one of those things. Yeah, you may go spend the extra hundred dollars to get a quality Ingersoll or you know some sort of. Uh, I think it's Aircat. Is that the one you're thinking of? Or no, it's it's it says Mountain on it, so I think it's their a uh, cheap brand or something. Yeah. I don't well, know. I've uh, I've used a handful of different yeah. air tools, but that goes back to just use what's going to get the job done. But uh, yeah, even back on the. Uh, the new text discussion. I put this on my questionnaire that you had put in for me and it was, uh, it was about getting into the industry. And this is something that I feel like a, you either got to know somebody or you got to do something. And, uh, I frankly didn't know anybody in the heavy duty industry. And I tried to just go out there and, you know, with Lincoln tech on my resume, which to a lot of people that doesn't mean much. But to some people, it means that you actually sat through and passed all your classes. And it's like, that's good enough. Just come be willing to learn. But I think beyond like what you have on your resume, your your attitude and your, kind of how you carry yourself is going to speak a lot more to a service manager, whoever's interviewing you for a position, especially if you're trying to break into the industry. But when you have new guys who, like I said, this podcast, it kind of uh, – it kind of exposes a little behind the scenes and may gain some people who wouldn't otherwise be interested. Uh But when you don't know that it's even available, it's like, it's hard for anybody to want to try and do that kind of stuff. But yeah, you actually, that's a good point to bring up. I get that. I get asked, I can't even talk. I get asked that a lot about, you know, like, Hey, I'm doing this, but I want to get into heavy equipment. How do I do it? Do I got to do an apprenticeship? Honestly, if you've got some experience under your belt, truck mechanic, automotive mechanic, Approach somebody, send in a resume or fill out an application, however you do it, and call the person. Yeah, well, or even not even just calling. Show up and talk to the person yeah. in person. Like that, I'm I'm now a, uh, a business owner and thinking about hiring an employee, but, like, I have to think about it a little differently now. But even before, when I was just the employee, I'd think, is this guy more likely to hire somebody who just gets a resume come across his desk or an email of a resume it's just words on a paper, yeah. like, that means nothing. I'd go show up and talk to the person in person, and yep. nine, uh, well, I say nine times out of ten, but it, I really only had, like, three or four jobs total. <laughs> but um, I, w- I got jobs before I even put in a resume because I'd go talk to the person in person, say, hey, look, this is where I'm, what I'm at. This is what I'm looking for. Um, this is the situation I'm in, and this is, you know, why I don't feel like I'm being fulfilled. Could you offer me the same or better or, you know, just talk to them, and, and even if you aren't interested necessarily in getting a job, making the connections big, too. Yeah. So going back to the new guys, it's like if you do, if you are an automotive tech or you're, a, um, you know, you're looking to break into an industry that you don't know nothing about, um, go talk to somebody who does know something about it. And then, like, that, it's not always what you know. It's sometimes who you know. Yes. And, uh, and just... Say, for instance, someone comes and talks to you and says, hey, I want to break into the industry. How do I do it? It's like, well, go talk to a service manager or go. And humility, I'll tell you this, goes a long way. When you're going to talk to somebody and you don't have the experience, just telling them, hey, look, I'm not here to sweep the floors, but I'm here to, I want to learn something. I want to, you don't have to pay me a a technician's pay or you don't have to, uh, you know, start me off on some starting like real good pay, but taking a pay cut or taking just the humility to say, Hey, I need, uh, I need to learn some before I 
want to, you know, obviously you're not going to go jump in a truck, but Hey, I'll be the, uh, I'll be the wash guy. I'll be the, uh, the, you know, the guy who cleans the machines or, you know, cleans the trucks or whatever, just so, do, does PMs or I'll do whatever it takes to get that foot in the door. And then once your foot's in the door, it's like, it's all, I mean, in my experience, once you get the foot in the door, it's like you're halfway there. It's your goddamn attitude. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll be the first to admit, I, when I worked for the John Deere dealer, I almost went to work for the cat dealer here. Yeah. And I told him straight up, I'm like, I've been doing this a long time. I'm comfortable with what I do, but going into a new machine. Yeah. I, I wouldn't mind doing some time in the shop just to kind of learn the SIS program, all that right. shit, learning the machines, and then I'll hop into a truck. Right. But I want to be in a truck. And they were like, hell yeah, let's do it. But yeah, it didn't work out, whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. Great points, man. I, I definitely hired you as my uh, co-host now. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get into some... To, to, I cannot fucking talk today, dude. Uh, let's get into some topics. There we go. So you want to talk about where the industry is headed. And it's kind of the same across the board. Everything's going electric. I hate it. But what is your input on that exactly? So I got a lot, maybe a lot. We'll see. <laughs> That's fine. We got plenty um, of time. But it's um, you know, you kind of look at the trends of like you said, everything's going electric, and you kind of wonder how sustainable that's going to be. Uh, you look at California, who is pushing to ban the sale of new uh, internal combustion engines after like 2030 or something like that, mm-hmm. and then they're right now talking about you can't turn your AC on, much less charge your yes. Tesla. So how are you going to charge that? I don't know if you saw it. I posted on Instagram a couple of days ago or shared it. It was a uh, skid steer that was all electric, and they said it had a runtime of four hours and a charge time of 12 hours. <laughs> so um, I don't know how many skid steers you'd need to buy to be able to work a, uh, a full shift. So three. And ha- yeah, well, then you have to think about, well, it takes 12 hours for each one to charge, and is this one going to be done charging by the next one's done? I didn't do the math, but um, <laughs> that just sounds a little unsustainable to me right now. Now, here's the thing. It could all, they could have some new technology that comes out and changes the industry and batteries charge faster than ever and hold a longer charge time. But in reality, that kind of stuff, it, um, you don't want to be the guy releasing something, some new revolutionary product. And then it's, uh, you know, I think a lot of people would be turned off by the idea of it if you release it too early. And I mean, they're already releasing this kind of stuff, but, and it comes out and it's just non-competitive overall. So you're sitting there, like I said, with a, a skid steer that has four hour runtime and a 12 hour charge time. And you're like, well, why would I buy that versus buying a traditional, you know, diesel powered? And it's just a, a fuel up away from going back to work and working all day. I, so you're, have you come across the guy that's building the old truck? The Edison? Yes. Yeah, I saw it. It's pretty cool. It's cool, but I don't understand the point of it. It um, still has an emissions polluting v- or engine in it. I think it's a 3406 cat. So. Yes, it's a cat engine. <laughs> it's pre-emissions there, uh, I want to say. It's, 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 but, and it's electric drive. I, just, I think that's more of just like what is electric, uh, what is an electric truck capable of? Yes. But that's almost like... That goes into the point of why are you making an electric if you still have a motor? And then it, you're, it's like, 
it there's a lot of questions to be asked about it, but it is something that hey, say technology changes overnight and suddenly we have a revolutionary battery that is uh is capable, but this um this would go I mean, we're kind of going off on a tangent on that one, but the uh overall the electrification is something that would be interesting and would be I mean, there are already machines out there that are electric drive. There are already plenty of um, electric vehicles on the road that are suitable, but it's like it's not going to be a solution. Right now, it's not going to be a su- uh, suitable solution for the uh, the industry as a whole or everything. It's like a commuter car that drives 40 miles a day, you could be a Tesla and work just fine. Yeah. But it's like that even comes down to, well, would it be suitable if everybody has it and then the power grids are overloaded? It's like that wouldn't be suitable. So it's... I think it's one of those things that a lot of people see it as a be all end all and it's like it's an impro- it's improving obviously it's made improvements over the years but it's not the solution the you know the final solution for it and I'm going to stop banging this desk here but um <laughs> the right. uh I put on their electrification and autom- automation and uh I don't know if you've ever heard of Lex Friedman he's a po- he's a scientist engineer um I feel like he's been on Joe Rogan a, a handful of times, but he's a really smart dude, and he did a podcast with Elon Musk about. Um, they were just talking a lot about uh, Tesla and kind of their future and everything, but it's something that's really interesting. Um, I did. I put on the questionnaire too. I started a Facebook group a while back when I was still at the dealership, or it's a Facebook page, the Modern Diesel Technician. And I kind of, it, it was a side project that I never put a ton of effort into, and I feel like I probably should still. I just got really busy along the way, and kind of, it slipped behind. But everyone's not going to be able to fix uh, trucks and machines with a hammer and an adjustable wrench. It's like, at a certain point, you got to learn how to use a laptop. you got to learn how CAN bus works. you got to learn how, you know, ECMs and everything communicate, and how, how the sensors work, and how the wiring diagrams work. It's like... There's got to be a modernization. And then you got to, hold on. And then you got to hear the customer go, God damn, you got to use a computer to fix the damn machine. Back in my day, all you needed was a screwdriver to listen to it. Well, and so that's like, um, or, hey, you hooked up the computer. It doesn't tell you what's wrong with it. It's like, (laughs) hey, it gave me a fault code, but I mean, I can throw a part at it if you want me to, or I can actually dig into it and find the problem. Yep. Because nine times out of 10, uh, a lot of people who don't know what they're doing with a laptop will hook up and see a fault code and, hey, it says knock sensor. Let's put a knock sensor on it. Or, hey, it says a, a cam sensor. Let's put a cam sensor on it. It's like, well, do you know why the fault's setting? Did you, like, look into the actual technical information of the fault code, particularly of what it's setting and what caused it, like the conditions for setting it? And is it active? Is it inactive? Like you could go on and on, but mm-hmm. I started that group or the page to kind of, uh, I wanted to try and bring a little bit more modern modernization of the, uh, the technician, you know, upgrading and, uh, and looking to the future technologies. And of course it'll be, I'm sure at a certain point in time, people will look back at, at mechanics today, or we may be the mechanics that you don't, you know, Back in my day, you just put a new a new knock sensor on it, ran a regen, and sent it. And it's like, well, now you got to diagnose why this electric drive motor or this yeah. uh, this particular ECM is reporting bad. Or like, I'm not a I'm not a genius on the the electric stuff, but I see it coming, and it's like you have to 
adapt to a certain point, but also don't just like, um, (laughs) with a lot of things in the, I'd say in society in general, people just like, well, this is a possible solution to part of the problem. So let's make it the total solution to everything. And it's like, no, (laughs) like let's, let's just improve technology and the things that, uh, the improvements will make a difference, but like, don't be so focused on, well, this is going to be the, o- the only thing that is going to fix everything. And then we're, uh, you know, not looking at anything else and not innovating in other places. Yeah. I, uh, actually have an, an embarrassing story to tell about all this computer stuff and something that should be super simple, but it's, uh, shouldn't say it's embarrassing because I called it right off the bat, but I got told no. <laughs> uh, had a loader. Tom, I'm calling you out, by the way. Tom is my boss. Uh, it's his fault. It's his fault. I uh, went out to a loader. It was throwing low, low pressure, fuel pressure code. You know, the low side that picks yeah. up out of the tank. And I asked him, when's the last time it serviced? Might need filters. Well, it was just start. It was just done. Yeah, it's just done. I'm like, okay, fine. So, my resident, we have a deer resident right now because we're so backed up. He went out and looked at it. Said, no, it doesn't need the pump. It's fine because it wasn't throwing the code when he was there. A few days later, it comes back, starts throwing the code again. So I go out there, and it's in the negatives. I think spec is like three point negative three point six. It's it's okay. So this is like inlet restriction? Yes, inlet. I'll get to that in a second. I'm not a deer guy or uh, heavy equipment, so my truck lingo may be a little different than yours. Yeah. So I I call things how I know them sometimes, but... You basically have your pickup right out of the tank. Right. So it would be a a suction side you're working on. But it's it's called low pressure fuel pressure on a John Deere. Does it have like an electric lift pump too? Yes, electric lift pump. Back in the day, it was manual. Right. Or mechanical. mechanical. Manual. Uh, anyway, go out there. It's, it's in the negatives and like spec is only like 2.9 PSI. Not that big deal. So I run it. Yeah. It goes in the negatives. And so I'm like, well, fuck, take it off. And I just, I didn't have a, a, a beaker to measure the fuel in like coming out of the pump versus coming out of the secondary filter, all this shit. So I'm like, I'll just check flow. And fuck, it looked good. Pulled the sensor out where the pressure sensor and good flow. So I'm like, oh, it can't be that. Maybe the pump's just not keeping up. So I tell him, he's like, oh, I already ordered the pump. We'll go ahead and put it on. So I'm like, okay, put a pump on it. Same thing. Right off the bat. So what'd you find? So I went through and checked the whole engine harness from the ECU to the uh, pressure sensor. Harness checks out. I'm like, well, what do you want to do next? Yeah, what's the sensor? You know, so he gets the sensor, <laughs> put the sensor on it. Next day, put it on. Same thing. I'm like, motherfucker. Well, luckily, my resident was there and he had a 2000 milliliter uh, beaker. Test the flow coming out of it. Spec was uh, 1000 milliliters within 60 seconds. I had 800. Check it from the pump out right there off the first filter. And within 60 seconds, I was overflowing a 2,000 milliliter. So I'm like, well, the fucking pump's fine. We're good on pickup. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to walk down to my fuel truck because luckily he was there. I'm going to grab a secondary fuel filter since I already changed the first one. 
put that fuel filter on. Came right back. Came right back. And I've been there. I should I should have just went with my gut. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I, I my dealership days, I learned that it's hard to trust someone else's word. Even though they may have the seniority, they may have the experience over you, it's sometimes just double check. Well, and the thing about our field truck guys sometimes, and I feel bad saying this because they're a bunch of good dudes, brake clean and fuel filters, Yeah, they do it a lot. So it looks new. So it looks new. And I pulled that, that secondary filter off, and it had a 2021 manufacturer wow. date on it. Cool. So you know it's old. A few years or a year. Yeah. So put that fuel filter on, and I felt like a complete jackass. Put a brand new pump on. I'm sure that pump's not cheap. That sensor is probably not cheap. But I kept the pump. Well, that goes into, uh, yeah, just double check. And uh, and also, like, knowing the – I see this all the time, and there's a specific engine that I work on, the ISX 15 liter, Yeah. that it's notorious for – a, uh, I know the fault code off the top of my head, a 559 low rail pressure. And when I walk up to a truck and the rail pressure relief valve has been changed and the pressure sensor has been changed and the, the low side gear pump's been changed, it's like start from the beginning and just go step by step. And that one really bit me one time at the dealer. Uh, it was the same thing. Oh, we just changed these fuel filters. They're brand new. And so I, in my head, say, all right, they're brand new. It should be good. Yes. And I didn't check the inlet restriction, and um, I ended up checking it, but I didn't have a secondary tool that I needed that would uh, simulate a full fuel, uh, the full fuel flow under a full load. And uh, I checked it without it, and it was in spec, and then I checked it with it, and it was out of spec. And I'm like, all right, I should have just not been lazy and <laughs> started from the beginning. But that was a... I'll say this, that was a freight liner that was hard to get to the uh, fittings that I needed to get to, so that was my bad. But I think we've all been there at one point or another, and it's like, that's one of those, it's uh, it's not always the experience that you got, but sometimes it's just the, did I double check somebody else's work? Yes. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. But uh, I'm done embarrassing myself for now. Let's t- hey, everybody does it. Just everybody else doesn't tell their story to a podcast. So. Well, you know, I'm, I'm the the certified wrench, so that that guy doesn't make any mistakes. You yeah, know, you must be uncertified now. Yep, I lost part of my man card. Emissions. So. Emissions. Dear EPA, <laughs> deletes are not good, and uh, should never be done on any vehicle ever, and I wholeheartedly stand by that. Here's what I'm saying. Um, I wrote this little spiel in the uh, in the questionnaire, but um, you know, there's a lot of people who you talk to them, and it's just like, oh, just delete it, it'll fix all your problems. And it's like, no, that's not going to fix your problems. You need to diagnose what's actually wrong with it. But um, the I feel like this is a subject that kind of just um, a lot of people shy away from because if you get into it, they're like, oh, you just you just want to delete everything. You just want to blow black smoke everywhere. It's like, no, not really. But here's an idea that I had. And it's something that I, I wish somebody who is smarter than me could put together like a in-depth, probably years long research study to identify this. But I wonder whether the changes in emissions have made a net positive on global emissions, uh, let's say, 
or even, you know, it could be the United States or however you want to take it. But um, has it made a difference? Because you now have a completely, I mean, think about it this way. How much, what percentage of work do you do that's emissions related? I'd say 98%. Yeah. yeah. It's like things still break. They're mechanical. They still break. They still have problems. But more times than not, like, it's either directly emissions related or indirectly emissions related. And it and my idea is if you calculated the total carbon footprint of everything that has been done since emissions were introduced, would it be equal to greater or less than if you just had the technological improvements of stuff like common rail, of stuff like, uh, you know, the, the oils, the additives, the fuels that they've made that have reduced emissions versus having a complete separate emissions control system. So, I mean, you think about this, somebody's got to make all those extra parts. Somebody's got to install them. They've got to be shipped typically from places out of country. So they're coming in on a cargo ship. That's emissions. Uh, There's got to be parts runners. There's got to be parts delivery trucks. There's got to be more service trucks. You even have to, fleets and, you know, operations will buy extra equipment because they know that they're going to have equipment that's down and you're going to have to have a spare. So now you have to have a spare or two or three. And it's like, so how many more, uh, how much more total carbon footprint has been created by having to have all these additional things i mean even just a dpf service it's like you still have to service it that's downtime or even uh uh, wreckers you got to have a wrecker to go move that truck that just derated the five mile an hour at the loves or you have to you're adding all this extra output of total emissions and and in certain places localized like if you're in la or you're in a place like um a big city that has a lot of Fort yeah, Worth, Fort Worth, Dallas. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that I would prefer to live in a city with clean air than I'm not sitting there choking on, you know, smog every day. But at what point is it like, well, we got rid of it in the city, but we just passed it along to a mine that built, that pulls the rare earth minerals or, uh, you know, cause I mean, an SCR has a precious metals wash coat. They call it some places. I don't know if that term you're familiar with that, but they have certain materials that have to be put on these canisters or filters to react to the def that's being sprayed in there. Hey, like, that's not even something I said, but um, this there's a meme everywhere. It's like, I'm saving the planet today, and then you throw away a plastic box and a, uh, and a, a, a plastic container and a cardboard box of def because you just poured it into your truck to save the environment. That, that goes to the landfill. Yeah, or, you know, ends up on the side of the road. Or this was a, a real funny one. I remember... I was out in the middle of nowhere, and um, it was this gravel road out to, I feel like it was to a deer lease, I want to say, because this guy owned a a bunch of land, and he had a piece of equipment out there. And uh, I'm driving out there, and I just saw a deaf container on the side of the road, and I'm like, (laughs) saving the environment, and it's littering on the the side of the road. But it's just a question that I've had, like, overall, has it made a net benefit, like, if there's a complete separate industry, I mean, there you think about it, there's DPF, there's places that only specialize in making DPFs. Like, that's got to be some sort of carbon footprint that puts out. There's places that only do EGR coolers or just everything. And that's not even to get into, like we talked about earlier, the engine life is reduced. Like, you could have a million-mile motor or, a, a, say, a 25,000-engine-hour service life, 
and uh, now you're changing it out in half that. So that's a whole new motor that had a carbon footprint of something that wouldn't have had it previously because the motor would have lasted longer. Yeah, I'd say, I'm sure it's made some sort of difference, but you've got, what's what's a good thing to compare it to? Like, uh, I don't even know how to compare it. Like, you've got all these other countries. Right, well. They're still making carbureted vehicles. Have you ever seen Mechanic Steve on the... Oh, yeah. And he's fucking rebuilding yeah. engines on the side of the road, dumping oil yeah. on the ground and shit. And that's uh, that's somewhere, not the United States, but, um, like, overall, and this is, you, you say don't talk politics, and I'm going to try not to get into it, but um, <laughs> overall you look at things like uh, these sort of climate agreements that countries get into, and it's like, well, the United States is going to cut theirs by a certain amount, and everywhere else says they're going to promise but never do. So it's yeah. like we're cutting ourselves off at the knees and everybody else is just saying, well, come do something about it. And it's like, all right, so well, like that's just ridiculous. But Well, look at John Deere yeah. uh, in Australia. They're still building Tier 2 engines over yeah. well, brand they can, new. Someone said you can do a delete from a dealership in the Outback. I don't know if you saw that post or not. They were talking about they deleted a machine and then so they were asking for help. And they're like, no, we're literally at a dealer. We did the delete. I was like, that's, but I guess if you're nine hours away from somewhere, you don't want it derating because yeah. you ran out of def. Yeah. So I actually, funny story about that. Somebody here is doing them on machines. Don't oh, know who. Know. I don't know who, whatever, but I got kicked off of a job site Yeah. because I found a, uh, a motor grader, John Deere yeah. motor grader, and it was deleted. And so, <clears throat> so you got these, man, my allergies fucked today. Um, so you've got these on John Deere. I don't know if Cat does the same thing, but you can do auto uh, auto software updates. Right. They send it to the machine. Just push the button on the screen. Well, this thing was deleted and updated to that delete. Oops. Well, it got an auto ECU update, and the Everything operator back. <laughs> operator accidentally hit select, and so they're like, "Hey, this thing's throwing a bunch of codes. Come out check it." And I'm like. That's weird. It's throwing soot level codes. Open it up, yeah. and there's no freaking DPF. So Uh-oh. I call the guy. I'm like, hey, uh, who did this? You know, we got to get a hold of him, figure out how we can fix this, you know, and put it back to whatever software. And he's like, I'll call you right back. Well, 15 minutes goes by, and he's like, I need you to leave. And I'm like. This is when you were at the dealer? This is when I was at the John Deere dealer. And he's like, I need you to leave. And I'm like, okay, yeah, no problem, you know. And I said, I, I can help you any way I can. No, I just need you to leave. So come to find out, they thought I was going to turn them into the EPA. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I... Well, that's the other thing. I tell a lot of people, I mean, what does that motor grader cost? Like, I have no idea. A lot. I just And you're going to risk, you know, having a machine down or having the possibility. Like, that's the other thing. Um, I've worked independent. I've seen them all. Um, and half the time, it's somebody in some shady, uh, you know, some shady basement doing a tune and and writing it up and sending it and hoping everything works. And it's like, well, you could destroy the engine and leave the machine pretty much useless. And it's like, that's, I don't know, that's just, it's, it's kind of ridiculous to uh, to do that and take that risk sometimes versus just actually paying the money and fixing it. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not saying emissions are great and they're, they're the, um, you know, they're free of problems, but... It's like if you have somebody who knows what they're doing, you're more likely to get the machine fixed and going the right direction versus uh, paying somebody a couple of grand to fix a problem 
Yeah. So the best way I kind of figured it out, best way I can explain emissions and if they're doing good, have you ever seen that video of the guy? It, it's He's standing in a flood, and he's filling up this water, this five-gallon bucket and trying to throw the water over the chain-link fence. Yeah. That's the best way I could describe emissions it's because just, it's it's fixing something, but it's it's like uh, you're kind of like doing double work there or useless work. Yeah, almost, and nobody. Almost. But no. yeah, at the same time, I, I'm sure that somebody could present a study to me and say this is their quality uh, as of 1999 or 2001 or two or whatever, mm-hmm. and this is the 2020. But it's like I'm not saying that there have been no improvements. There's been nothing better, but you just kind of wonder. It's like. Um, it goes to the electrification thing. It's like you're fixing a problem by not having, I see this all the time. It says zero tailpipe emissions. It's like, that's true. But, and I, it, How so? I'll get started on it. <laughs> well, if you have an electric car, oh, yeah, yeah. it's not internal combustion. It's not putting out yeah. tailpipe emissions. So it's like, that's true. But um, this will get me going on a tangent here. <laughs> but it'll say stuff like oil free or oil LOL. I saw a license plate that said that. It's like, hey, you know that thing still has gear oil. It still has coolant. It still has petroleum-related products that throughout was, the entire vehicle. I posted that. Remember, it, I took a picture of the guy's license plate, and it said oil, LOL, or something I think like that, that guy's in DFW because yeah, I've seen, I've, I took it I've seen great, pictures. Uh, I took it over by where I work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the dude's been uh, all over the Internet by at this point. But, yes. um, yeah, it's just one of those things. It's like, so there may be zero tailpipe emissions, but there is a carbon footprint to an electric vehicle, and you wonder what and how. Um, you kind of wonder. It's like you're fixing something, but at what cost? And um, is it a net benefit overall? It may make you feel better. You may not um, you know, have a, a car that you're driving around, and it's, actively making a carbon footprint but it's like there's a carbon footprint attached to it and this is the funniest story that i um have related to this um a guy was hauling teslas and um he asked me to look at his truck and i rolled the hood over and it's a relatively new truck and it had uh none of the active emissions equipment on it and i'm like this here's this car hauler he's hauling all these eco-friendly cars and he has a truck that is um, not friendly to the environment. And it's just kind of one of those, uh, you know, uh, the water in the bucket scenario. You're dumping water over by ordering a Tesla. And yeah. then you're getting a guy with a deleted truck driving it to your, you know, probably from Houston or Austin or wherever they come from. And they're hauling it up here. And it's like, so how much of a carbon footprint is that? And then not to get into hey, there's got to be a lithium mine somewhere that's mining all this stuff. Yep. And uh, there's got to be trucks and mechanics and XYZ to support this thing. And it's just, it's, as a s- human c- civilization, there's going to be a carbon footprint. You just got to ask yourself, like, how much of it is necessary for humans to survive? And, like, obviously you want to be respectful, take care of what we've been given, the, you know, awesome creation that the, is the, entire world the earth nature but it's like you're there's a balancing act and i feel like sometimes it's just all or nothing yeah and you know you talk about <clears throat> excuse me you talk about the uh trying to take care of what we've been given if you've ever worked in a landfill you know exactly uh, the emissions ain't helping 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, humans are disgusting people. As we it create is. waste as yes. like it's just a part of existing. Yeah, and the the gases that come off those landfills is terrible, and they're trying to save it. But come on, come How on. How much of that? Yeah. Yeah. Put a put an SCR on the landfill, I guess. It was global warming, man. Or yeah. on the on the cows, <laughs> the fart filter. Yeah. You yes. see that one, the Babylon Bee, they posted, uh, it's like California introduces uh, the newest, I think it was like Chevrolet introduces the newest vehicle for California pending the uh, emissions regulations. It was like a horse and buggy. Uh-huh. And so I reposted <laughs> and I said, well, it's still going to need some, uh, you know, a it's DPF and an EGR. Yep. Maybe some coolant. Yeah. <clears throat> Jesus Christ. Another topic, shall we? Let's go. Get away from that fucking nightmare. Uh, hey, it makes me money, so yeah. like, it keeps me busy. I'm not going to complain about it. Hey, I mean, I, I'm complaining about it, but I'm not like. It's, it's one uh, of the one of the easiest systems to figure out if once you. I'm sorry, to diagnose and fix once you learn how the system works. Yeah. Well, here's something that I uh, like to tell people is if you can't explain how it works, you probably can't fix it, mm-hmm. or you're just guessing at how you're going to fix yeah. it. But the EGR, the DPF, um, the after-treatment, you know, SCR, all that stuff, if you can explain how it works, you can look at a data log, or you can look at an active regen, and you can say, hey, this is out of line, or hey, that's out of line. Uh, I might have a restriction, or I might have a, you know, I may not be injecting DEF if I don't see this temperature change here, or... If, just a, a handful of things, and it's like that's where the knowledge of knowing will lead to you being a better mechanic and an overall a better, you know, not you're not only valuable to the customer, but the more value you create for yourself, obviously the more valuable you become to the employee, to the cu- or to the employer, to the customer, and uh, overall, you know, it makes uh, it gives mechanics a better name when you actually know what you're doing. So. What is the shit that you want to talk about? I have no idea, but Freightliner. Oh, I put on their close calls. No, well, you got close calls. Yeah. Well, this is a little story here. Freightline tank recall. Yeah. So this was one. um, I think even before that, I put in uh, being safety minded, and uh, that's a huge thing if you're a mechanic. You were talking about it on one of the podcasts before, and you said, uh, you know, you feel like you're you're kind of nervous that something's going to happen. It's like you can take a lot of that nervousness away by having a, by actively thinking about how am I going to do this probably very dangerous job by doing it the safest way possible and thinking about it beforehand. And then it it eliminates a lot of that. But um, I've had a couple of close calls and I thought I'd put these stories in there just because they were, to me, they were pretty, um, they, I would say I learned a lot. They were valuable lessons to me, but there was this tank recall on these step vans that had a Freightliner emblem on it. And it was a gasoline-powered vehicle. And it was a steel gas tank. And it was a recall to replace the whole tank because the seams on the welds were ripping. And they said, the only way for us to know that you actually did this recall is we need you to cut the filler neck off of this steel tank that's filled with gasoline. And I asked my service manager, I go, hey, man, uh, how do you want me to do this? Because I'm not taking a torch to this. Like, I'm not an idiot. I think I'm, you know, I want to do this the smartest way. He goes, I don't know, figure it out. And I'm like, dude, really? Like, I've been a mechanic for like two years, and you're just going (laughs) to tell me figure it out. So I go talk to everybody in the shop, and I'm like, some guy's like, well, just put exhaust into into it, and then it won't be able to ignite. And I'm like, that sounds like a dumb idea. 
Um, not saying it wouldn't work, but I'm like, how am I going to rig that up? I'm not taking that chance. So my solution for this was I would fill up the tanks with degreaser, pressure wash them out. It, and, you know, on a recall, it probably pays like two hours for the whole remove and install. I'm like, I'm not blowing myself up for this. So I'd go through and pressure wash the tanks. I would uh, fill them up all the way full with water. And then I'd run the hose on the outside and I'd use my grinder to cut the filler neck out of it. And that worked for about eight times. And uh, then I did a ninth one. And um, I filled it all the way to the top. And I guess it had an air bubble in there. And I wasn't running the water over the top because someone was in the wash bay. So I was doing it in the parking lot. And uh, my grinder, luckily I was wearing my safety glasses. I had my PPE. And uh, I cut three sides. I was cutting a square. I cut three sides. And on the fourth side, I had a nice fireball. It hit me in the face. So it was a uh, one of those... I probably should have just waited for the wash bay to be done. I probably should have been this or that. And at the time, the dealership was offering a safety bonus. So if there were no safety accidents uh, for the entire shop, the whole shop got like, you know, the dealership experience of a, of a uh, perk, whatever you'd call it, yeah. a, a pizza party, a, a gift card, you know, the good stuff. Uh, so I had been at that shop for like six months, a mechanic for like two years and I'm the new guy who blows himself up. So I got the nickname flash for a little while until I left that dealer. But yeah, that, after that, I decided, uh, I'm going to find a way that doesn't throw sparks. And I got one of those air hammer bits that, uh, just, it's, uh, I know which one you're talking about. It's got yeah, that little, it's like a shear. Yeah, yeah. It's like a shear. Yeah. Um, I'd still fill them up with water. I did a couple more after that, but that was a, uh, that was one of those things where it's like, hey, like somebody should have probably said, hey, there's a better way to do it. Or, you know, hey, we're actually going to ask the manufacturer how they want us to cut out a gas, a steel gasoline tank, how they want this cut out. Because put that on them, not just tell me, hey. Yeah. And that like I kind of blame the, the service manager a little bit. I kind of blame myself. But I don't know. You're I'm a grown ass man. So it's like at the end of the day, I take responsibility for it. I think I was like 19 at the time. So it was kind of one of those young and dumb, but at the same time, hey, somebody should have pulled me aside and told me not to do that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, I w- if they would have tried to like, yeah, do something, I'd be like, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't trained on right. how to do this. Yeah, you, know, you and, figure it out, warranty department, or yeah. yeah. So there's kind of ifs and ands, and and that was before um, being a field mechanic. But I feel like you get pretty um, as a field mechanic, you have to get. You have to be creative. Uh, yeah, creative, have a sense of ingenuity, figure out the way to do something. It's like all the experience before that has led up to now if I did it, I'd be like, oh, I know how I'm going to do it. I Obviously, lessons like that teach you, but mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. sometimes it sucks. I think I had like second degree on most of the face and one part was third. Shit. And uh, I, like I said, I was wearing safety glasses, so I my eyeballs were good. <laughs> I lost all my eyelashes. I lost a little bit of hair. I was wearing my hat. Um, so I, I didn't lose and my hair didn't catch on fire or anything, but I thought to myself for a split second, I'm like, I'm just not going to say anything about this cause I'm not going to ruin the safety bonus. And so I went into the bathroom. Oh, like I extinguished a fire. This is the other thing. I had two buddies there, these two Mexican guys and they were hilarious. They were like, they were my best friends and, uh, I still see them every once in a while, but they don't ever talk to me anymore. So. But uh, anyways, uh, they're running around like their pants are on fire. They're like, there's a fire, there's a flame, like just losing it. And I'm like, just got my face burnt. And I walk over, get the fire extinguisher, and put out what was still on fire. And I'm like, all right, 
um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go to the bathroom, and uh, I'm gonna see how bad it is. So I walk in there, and I I get a paper towel and wet it, and I'm like assessing everything. And I go to wipe my face, and it starts pulling my skin, and I'm like, uh, I'm like uh, I should probably report this one. I should probably go tell the the service manager. So I went and told him it was his fault, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I learned from that one. But that's one of those. Uh, you you kind of have to go through it, have those have those mistakes, those things that you learn from, and then you're kind of going to be a better mechanic person type of thing yep. on the other end. You just, it sucks to go through it sometimes. Yeah, I kind of had one of those close calls a week and a half ago, I think, uh, out on this job site all by myself. Just had to weld a, uh, a bracket that goes around the cylinder that holds the steel line on, on this big machine, and the bracket cracked happens all the time just throw a quick little inch and a half weld on it you're good to go and i was in the grass and they had that it was green but it had that dry shit underneath right well yeah it turned green after that one rain yeah everything else was still dry so i was like fuck it cleaned it off real fast threw this weld down i'm like man the fuck is that smell i look down and this flame is just spreading in a big circle yeah and i'm like oh shit oh shit trying to stomp it out because i was out there by myself and it was going. You're like, like I oh, just shit. started a forest fire. Yeah, and like I'm freaking out because it's going right towards my truck. And I'm like, stop fucking. I got it out, but it spread to like five foot round. <laughs> that's uh, that's like my next story that I put on there. I think the wind farm, is that yes, what else I put Central on there? Central Texas. So I was working on this uh, wind farm. And, of course, they put wind farms where it's windy. You wouldn't imagine that. But uh, someone had an exhaust leak on a little gel telehandler and uh, I had the bright idea that I was going to go out there and weld it and fix it and it was a similar time you know everything's dry you're in the middle of nowhere hold on hold on did you just call it a gel gel I don't know it's gel G-E-H-G you got me all fucked up it's a it's called gel gel okay G-E-H-L I'll tell you this that's the only one I've ever worked on and I don't know that I want to work on another one after this that's funny but uh I heard that yeah anyway it's like the Knipex I'm sure you know you tell me once I'll probably remember it but there's a chance I won't because I don't work on them all the time but (laughs) sorry um yeah anyways so it was uh it was windy and uh, I was going to do this little exhaust repair, and I cleaned everything up and got it set up. And um, I thought to myself, you know, I probably shouldn't be welding with it so windy um, without my extinguisher close by. So I took it out of my cabinet and set it right next to me, and I get to welding. And, of course, I'm I'm a mechanic, not a welder, so I'm sitting there and trying to make it all work and everything. And it was kind of the similar situation, like you said. You, hmm, I smell something, and it doesn't smell good. And I don't think it's just the weld that I'm welding right now. And I turned around, and uh, I had a nice flame going there. So it was uh, a little bit of safety-minded prevented me from starting a forest fire in Central Texas and burning down a wind farm. A forest fire <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Well, you know, those places, uh, it's... Uh, they are pretty remote, so yes, they're uh, you know, if it got picked up, everything's dry. It would have only been a matter of time before it spread pretty, pretty far. But um, I say that, and then just here recently about a, oh, when all those fires were happening in like West Texas area, mm-hmm. I uh, I had to go out there to work on a water truck on another wind farm, 
and um, I'm coming back, or, or while I'm on the site, I see uh, this gigantic just smoke cloud off in the distance. I'm like, well, that's not good. That's kind of the direction I have to go back. And uh, I'm cutting back through this back road, and it's just this raging fire, and it's going through a, through a wind farm. And I had kind of flashbacks there. I'm like, that could have been me. I could have been the one that started one of those things. <laughs> did I, did, yeah. wait, did I do I that? I didn't do it this time. <laughs> Shit. Well, hour and 20 minutes. Already. Dude, I ain't, I'm not editing this. All right. Fuck it. We're going to, uh, we we're winging it. And we're Send just it gonna, to the people. We're just gonna release it and call it cat shit and cover it up. But um, I'm trying to think. You got any other topics you want to talk about? Um, topic wise, I don't know that. Let me see. I think I filled this uh, questionnaire out, and I've got a couple of things that I wrote down after that. Let me see. And uh, we're back. <laughs> we had to take a little break. Um, bullshit a little bit. You know, the deal. But uh, what do you want to talk about first? So I wrote a few more things down. Um, <clears throat> one of the other ones was inspiration, not jealousy. And this goes to uh, social media, I'd say, the biggest thing. You see all these guys out here who are, are growing, who have uh, their solo operations or their independent operations, and they're just blowing up. They're, you know, making it big, buying new trucks, getting new contracts, doing all this, you know, really cool work out there. And uh, I think jealousy is a bad thing, but I think inspiration, um, I follow a ton of these people on there, and it's just like I pick up huge amounts of uh, inspiration, and it's just like, you know, you want to – you aspire to be like those people, not that you're you're taking anything away from them or, or uh, you're emulating them or whatever, but it's like, I'm not jealous of you. I am very inspired by you. And uh, that goes into another little point that I had wrote down. And it's, uh, it's how some people, I feel like in the industry, um, I've seen it at dealers, at independent places, but they have kind of this mindset that there's only so much to go around. And if I don't get it, somebody else is getting it. And if they get it, they're taking it from me. Mm-hmm. And so it's like there's a scarcity mindset kind of, and uh, it's my thinking is if there's not enough pie to go around, then make a bigger pie, you know? <laughs> yeah. So when I've had dealers who, um, even since I've went solo, they've been hitting up my customers and seeing what they can do for them. And I'm like, I get it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you uh, you can't do that or like be offended by it, but um, it's like offer them something better than me. And I'm not saying I'm the best, but obviously they stopped using you as the dealer for a reason and mm-hmm. they started using me for a reason. So I like competition. I approve of competition. I think you should, uh, be very competitive in your, in your industry. But, um, I don't think having the mindset that there's only so much to go around and if I'm not getting it, then somebody's taking it from me. You got to look at it a little differently and have a different perspective on it. Yeah, uh, we kind of talked about that on, uh, I can't remember which episode, but with Spencer. You know, he's a line board technician. Yeah. We he, talked about the... I just started following him a little while ago, but he seems to be a pretty cool guy. Yeah, he uh, kind of dealt with that when he left the dealer. Yeah. And uh, they were doing a little bit of... Giving him a hard time. You know, trying to under, undercut him to where they weren't making any money just to get him away from the customer. And <laughs> it just, 
You know, well, when you start undercutting at a certain point, you're going to either make a mistake or not make enough. I mean, dealerships, in theory, have not, um, I wouldn't say an infinite amount, but compared to an independent guy, they have resources that are far superior. So they could make no money and and do that. But that's just one of those kind of like, that's a, you're a terrible person if you do that to somebody. Go find an, go find more jobs. Go find the customers that don't use you for other reasons, but why are you coming after my customer? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's just very childish, in my opinion. It's, it's just the way it worked out. It's like, if I was a customer and they did that shit, I'm like... Yeah, well, really, that's the customers gonna... that I have that have had the dealership come back, they actually tell me because they like me, they trust me, and they know that I'm not going to get offended because they were there. Yeah. So they tell me, they're like, yeah, they were coming over hunting, trying to get our business back, and... uh and we told him, no, we only use, you know, we only use Joe. And I'm like, look, I am <laughs> thankful that you're my customer because some customers would say, well, how much better can you do? And, you know, how much cheaper can I get it for? So that's a that's a huge thing. Also, being a solo independent guy, you want to make sure you have one loyal customers, but also uh, just quality customers. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have 20 quality customers than 100 just fly by night. They'd use the cheapest person, uh, you know, well, it's not flip even, on a dime. It's not even that, you know. It, you got to have good customers that you're not chasing your money all the time. Yeah. And That's a big thing for me too. You know, I, I tell them I'll give them a discount on their labor rate if they pay me when I leave. So, yeah. Oh, that's cool. That, fu- that works out good then. Shit. So that's uh that's been a, a selling point for me, but also it's the quality of work you put out. You know, they would, if, if someone's only using you cause you're the cheapest, there's going to come somebody who's cheaper than you mm-hmm. almost always. But uh, I learned that I think I learned that lesson from my dad. He uh, he being him in the uh, in the industry he was in, he would have people a shop that he'd give them a certain you know uh, rate for their toes, and and when somebody else would come around and tell them they're going to undercut them, he's like, let them have it. Soon enough, they'll be back because they'll mess up a car. They'll you know something will go wrong and they'll come back. And it's like, you, if you have to chase those kind of customers and keep lowering your price, like cut them loose. See you later. So, yeah. So that question right there that I have highlighted, is that for me? Yeah. So oh, this one oh, is, uh, I was, that's usually my question, motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, and usually I ask I had that. to flip the tables here. <laughs> go on. So the question <laughs> is, if you had to do it all over again, would you still wrench? And what would you do differently if you were wrenching? Mm. I'd probably still do it, but I would have started a different way. Right. Um, I probably would have tried well, to get... And, well, sorry to interrupt. No, that's fine. But um, this, expanding on that question, it would kind of be more so like you'd almost want to know whether um, you get to keep the experience you have to this point or not, like the knowledge that you have. Because if you went back, obviously you're going to have more knowledge to do it all over again, but it's hard to make that that guess on uh without having that knowledge how you would do it differently See, did you have like other career paths you like kind of were drawn towards or it was like you're cut out for this and you're only doing this so my unfortunately my son is just like me but when i was young you know very young <clears throat> i always focused on stuff and wanted to know how it worked like right. i knew how to how a five speed worked at like the age of six watching my dad like oh okay i get it i get it i get it you know and so i always had that mentality a mechanical mentality like i take shit apart and you know you got your little 
little motor out of a CD player and you take a nine volt battery and, oh, okay, so you touch it this way, it works. If you touch it that way, it goes backward. So I, I knew I had the mentality of what I was going to do, but I wanted to be an electrician. That was my goal. Of course, the recession hit when I got old enough to get a job and the guy I was going to go work for, he was just like, I can't, I can't even hire you as an intern or, you know, and so it, it just kind of fell into place like that. If I could have done it different though, like I probably would have done this. And it's the only, it's my neck. You right. know, I know it. I know how things work, but I probably would have, hmm. I really don't know because the apprenticeship worked out perfect for me. Like uh, I think one of your previous guests, he said he got that five-year itch, and uh, that sounded yes. more like an oil field thing to me, but I don't know <laughs> if I'd want to catch that or not. But uh, would you, looking back on the jobs you've had previously, would you stick it out in certain situations? Would you uh, kind of would you kind of uh, take that blow to your ego or that maybe I could just – fix this situation or deal with this situation and have a longer career at this place yeah yeah so i got a buddy that's really unhappy with where he works at i won't name anything because i don't want him getting in trouble but i'm just like stick it out yeah because it's where i used to work right and sometimes i regret that because i as much as i disapprove of certain trainings it was nice to have that you know and so, yes, I, I sometimes I wish I would have stuck it out at where I was at, like as far as a dealership or whatever, especially like back on the green side. Right. Back in California. There's a lot to those fucking machines. I don't know if you've ever seen a combine in person up close. I've seen them from a truck's distance, and yes. I don't know that I want to work on them myself. <laughs> There's so much to them, and knowing how everything works, I mean, I wish I would have stuck it out and learned it more i guess but right honestly things have worked out pretty fucking good i've grown a lot as a person especially since i moved here to texas i've grown a lot became a better person and i gotta give it to my wife for that because she's changed me a lot in a good way oh yeah you know and helped me achieve goals that i probably wouldn't have achieved so i don't know i it, that's a good question man because sometimes i'm like man what if so I really wanted to be a cop coming out of high school. I hate saying that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and sometimes I wonder, like, man, what if I would have gone through with it? But right. I wouldn't have been making the money that I make now. Or just, like, what, what decisions, like, a split decision at that point in your life, it could have taken you a completely different path. And yeah. you could just be a completely different person. But this kind of expands on that question a little bit more. Um, and I think I've listened to enough of these podcasts that just about everybody, <laughs> it seems like, who has that that intro, they say that same thing. It's like, I just had that knack, that thing in my head that said, how does that thing work? And I just want to figure it out. And I, I, of course, I had that too. I um, I remember my dad found this vintage uh, sewing machine one time, and he brought it home. And my mom was, you know, she she thought it was really cool. She was going to figure it, you know make it work and everything. And I sat there and took it apart and I didn't know how to put it back together. <laughs> and, uh, but anyways, she, uh, she'll ask me today. She'll say stuff like, well, how do you know how that works? I'll just explain, you know, a door mechanism or just like this little thing. I'll explain it. And I haven't ever seen the inside of it, but I know in theory, how, how does this thing relative to how it works? How should it, what should the insides look like or what? 
And she's like, how do you know that? I'm like, literally, it's just in my head. I don't know where it came from. After seeing so many amounts of just different things and how they work, it's like you kind of just get to understanding how mechanical things work, this and that. Yeah. But um, this expands on the question. Um, it Do you ever, I get this sometimes, but do you ever wish you could have like 10 careers and just figure out like, all these different things and have a whole career, like a 10 or 15 year career in a certain field that may be somewhat related, but different than what you're in. Cause I do that. Some, like when I see somebody doing cool stuff, it's like, man, what would it be like to, you know, like you said, be an electrician and be a master at an electrician or be a master plumber or be, you know, somebody that just, and trades are something that fascinate me a whole lot. Not to say that um, it's the only thing I could ever see myself doing, but um, there's a lot of times where it's like, what would it be like to have that level of, you know, oh, I did, I put in the time, I put in the 10 years, and now I'm a this or that. And, of course, we're only here for a limited time on Earth, so you can't <laughs> have it all or do it all. But sometimes that stuff kind of fascinates me is like, what would it be like if I did choose something else and did decide to be a, essentially become a master at that trade or that skill? Yeah, um <clears throat> I wouldn't necessarily say a different career path-wise, but sometimes I wish I would have stayed longer going back, stayed longer at something, maybe moved into a management position type thing and see where that went. Because, you know, being a a highly qualified field technician, if you don't like that, you can always go right back into what you're doing. Right. But as far as another career, no. No. Mm -mm. Um, And you had talked about, Maybe you you said management, but I know you had said previously sometime you thought about becoming a trainer. Um, I I kind of had that itch at one point in time to maybe pursue that because I had this really awesome trainer who was out of Oklahoma City for the Freightliner dealer, and uh, he just he explained things so great. He was this old guy who had been in wrenching you know forever. He I think he said he got his first job in like the I want to say it was the '60s, and I could be wrong. But he was, um, he had been around and seen just about everything. And he was one of those guys where it's like, you just like, that's a cool guy. You want to be like that guy. Yeah. You want to, um, that would be something that I'd be interested in. But at the same time, I couldn't see myself being a trainer. But uh, <laughs> that this fucking... fly is killing me over here. Um, Flies are attracted to shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this uh but if you got into some sort of training position do you think you would get like uh kind of that oh i miss the field i don't know because like i said before you know i really enjoy teaching people like if i get a new guy hell yeah i'll take him under my right. wing there's something about it it's not really like a power thing it's more right. of like man I, it's like you're fascinated by knowing how things work yes. and if you find that interest in somebody else it's like hey i can pass this to you mm-hmm. and um I forget who said this, but if you, if you, um, I don't even remember the quote, but essentially it's like, if you have a, someone teaching you, you're basically taking their level and you're leveling it up from there. It's like, you don't have to, you, of course you still need experience. You still need all that stuff. But if you can kind of, uh, take where they're leaving off and then build on top of that, you're already ahead, you're far ahead somebody who's just starting from uh, square one. Yeah, and especially being a field tech, you know, I've been a field tech for a long time, and knowing the, the, the tricks and shit that you wouldn't know in a shop and being able to show Reading somebody. a service manual? Yeah, even that. Pull the engine, it's like not, 
not happening. That sounds like a Hitachi manual, but uh, yeah, just knowing different like easy ways or like like oh yeah, it shows you how to do this here, but no, we can just do it like this. Like Stephen, sorry, I'm gonna call you out. The other day, this mother this motherfucker's fighting to pull a pin out of a wiggle wagon bed. He's like, I've been fucking with this thing for like an hour, and I'm like, well, look at look at the bed in the front versus the back, and you can see the the bed was twisted a little yeah. bit. Said, grab a chain, come along, pull the yeah. front of the bed over just a little bit. Five yeah. minutes. He's like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Sounds hey, man. like my first time stabbing a transmission, and yeah. you can't figure it out, and you're like trying to get the angle right. It's like when the guy who knows what he's doing comes over and says, just turn this knob to here. Everything looks right, and it slides right in. You're like, I yeah. feel like an idiot. But yeah. at the same time, you need that kind of uh, that passing down. That that goes back way back to the guy who was um, discouraging people, new techs. It's like instead of discouraging them, like show them that kind of stuff. Show them the, the hard lessons you learned and pass that on to somebody else. Yeah, and it's the old school saying, man, it's the tricks of the trade. Yep. And I live my daily life with the tricks of the trade, you know, and I learn something new every day, if not every other day. But uh, what about you? How about you? Like, would you have done anything different? Um, I think I probably would have tried to get into, uh, like I said, it wasn't until the last, like, two years that I've ever even really uh, messed with machines or equipment. And I think I would have probably preferred that. But I'm very thankful for my experience in the truck world just because I don't say this to be mean, but there's a lot of guys who – can heat and beat and you know fix a machine and it's like but like when it comes to anything with the diagnostic it's like they just mm-hmm. left their brain at home and it's like yeah. i'm a i'm very appreciative that i got a lot of the uh, in-depth diagnostic electrical um you know after treatment all that kind of stuff i got it all on the front end of my career and uh i'm thankful for that i like that um it keeps me from uh oh i'm only 28 i don't i don't always feel it i feel like i've uh use and abuse myself sometimes uh jumping off of stuff or lifting stuff i shouldn't have but it's like uh i feel like i could have been a lot further down that wear and tear on my body if i'd just gone with the uh the other direction and and moved into that but equipment heavy equipment like that you see some of those pieces of machinery that are just like almost uh you know it's mind-blowing to stand next to it and it's like that's something that's really cool and yeah. i would have loved to if like i said i, I if i had 10 careers i'd probably ha- be able to find 10 different things that i would have loved to just spend all my time and learn about it and i don't have that kind of time but um <laughs> there are things that i'm like i'm just not even going to put the effort in because i'm probably never going to see one or i'm probably never going to but that would stuff that would be stuff that i could easily see myself getting sucked into and and having that same passion towards other things um whether it is heavy equipment whether it is something like um, I don't know if you, I'm sure if you scrolled through Instagram or TikTok, you see the electrician uh, control panels and it's just like every wire is perfectly straight and they just all are zip tied and you're like, I can't even hardly build a harness over here that <laughs> looks halfway decent and these guys are running like a thousand wires out of this box. Yep. And it's just like, that's something that I feel like possibly I could have chosen another career path and also been pretty satisfied with it. Yes, sir. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think we should uh, get ready to wrap this thing up. What do you think? I'm good, man. Gotta, I know you got a couple more questions here. We'll save it for another one. Yeah. I'm. So, actually, you know, I'm just going to leave it at that. All right. I'm, uh, I think I got some plans for Joe here. Uh,
but you guys are going to have to stay tuned. But uh, What that, episode number is this? This is going to be 23. That's pretty great. I mean, um, I was telling you when we took our little break there, uh, a cert, it was a, a ridiculously high amount of podcasts that have ever been started. And then of those ones that have ever been started, a very minuscule amount of them make it past episode like two. And then the ones that make it past that, very few of them ever make it past 20 episodes. And so, like, you're probably in the 1% of 1% of all podcasts worldwide. So I think that's something you should uh, uh, maybe get a, a trophy made and put it on your wall or something. <laughs> I made it past 20 episodes, so. <laughs> yeah, so as I was telling Joe during our break, I, uh, <clears throat> I've been slacking a lot. You know, went from weekly to every two weeks to sometimes only one episode a month. And that's just because I have no drive for this or you know scheduling as i've said things come up man yeah and uh i think i think i'm gonna try to pursue joe here as a a a co-host because he's fucking good at this shit (laughs) and uh, i think we can build something good out out of this and you know record once a week type thing and uh, you know release something every Sunday for you guys to have something on Monday. And that's why I do that. So people have a Monday episode, that Monday motivation. Yes. So I think you guys should stay tuned. I think, uh, we can make something work out here and, uh, special thanks to, uh, to Joe for coming out, you know, such a late notice on this episode. And, uh, I also have a sponsor now, uh, we will be debuting it next episode, next month, whatever, however that's going to work out. Um, we're going to start fresh and clean with him, and we're actually going to have him on as a guest so you guys can get to know him a little bit. But uh, if you guys need to get a hold of me, certifiedwrenchpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on all the social medias, which seem to be blowing up this weekend for some reason. Um, we just did the 2K giveaway. Uh, got... Got in touch with two of the three winners. Can't get a hold of the second place, so might be picking a, somebody else. I don't know how we're going to do that yet. Um, <clears throat> totally lost my train of thought. Uh, oh, TikTok. Check out my TikTok. It's growing like crazy. Uh, need to start making more, more shit for that because it's pretty fun. Um, YouTube. Got a certifiedwrenchpodcast.com. Check out my website. If you guys are interested in being on, send me a a form, you know, and I can send you over a questionnaire, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, I think that's it. Yeah. Oh, merch got a new, uh, new line out there on merch. So help a brother out. That money goes towards equipment and I'm wanting to build a a studio now. So help, help me help a brother out. Anyway, I think that's it, man. What do you think? Sounds good. Um, I do have a couple of social medias on. Oh there. yeah, my bad. No where do, where do we yeah. find you at, man? You can find <laughs> me um and I ha- I haven't said it all podcast but he can put it in the title. Yep. Uh the name of my company is Black Flag Services. You can find me on Facebook, on Instagram. And uh I do have a TikTok although I don't ever barely post on the that uh social media but it's something that like uh, Colton said, it would probably be something that could be valuable if I put some effort into it. So find me out there. Um, I always love interacting with the people that I've seen previously on the uh, on the episodes. So check me out. Hit me up. I don't mind answering questions or talking to you if you have them for me. But I guess we can wrap this one up. We're at 142. 
Might uh might come down with a little bit of editing, but no, 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 man. We're gonna send it to him straight. Yep, we're gonna just send this motherfucker right out because technically seven o'clock is the release time. We're at seven o five. So I always listen to him on Monday morning. So yep. So fuck it. We're gonna send it out and uh, <sighs> outro. That's that. Peace out, guys.